Welcome to another edition of Around with Randall, your weekly podcast for making your nonprofit more effective for your community. And here is your host, the CEO and founder of Hallett Philanthropy, Randall Hallett. Appreciate your time again on this episode of Around with Randall. I have, in this pre-Oscar season, been enjoying... Movies on TCM, Turner Classic Movies. And maybe that's not your favorite station, but it's amongst my favorite stations. I grew up in a household where my mother watched, at that time, it was AMC, American Movie Classics, then followed by Turner Classic Movies. And nowadays, I find myself watching many of those same shows that I enjoyed with my mom. 30, 40 years ago. You might be asking, why is this relevant to today's conversation? It's interesting. I have been mixing this idea in my head of some of the greatest films of all time and what's going on in philanthropy today. So a little insight into my world. uh, And the reason why it's appropriate now is Turner Classic Movies plays uh, famous movies more consistently, more well-known, famous movies from the past because they won an Oscar, maybe Best Picture, maybe it was choreography, maybe it was cinematography, but they pull some of the best movies of all time. Some of my all-time favorites are some like It Hot with Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon, Marilyn Monroe, just a classic, Casablanca, certainly with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, anatomy with a murder, anatomy of a murder, excuse me, with Jimmy Stewart, one of my all time favorite movies, courtroom drama, an early uh, George C. Scott uh, appearance as a prosecuting attorney, Sunset Boulevard with Gloria Swanson and William Holden, The Man Who Knew Too Much with Jimmy Stewart, any Alfred Hitchcock movie, Vertigo, uh, North by Northwest, uh, the Rear Window with Jimmy Stewart again. Even musicals like Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and Debbie Reynolds. And you can tell I watch a lot of these movies. When you ask people today what are some of the greatest movies, they certainly list good ones. I would not deny that the works around uh, the, the series of The Hobbit, or they mention movies like The Green Book, or they, they will mention movies usually made in the last 10 or 15 years how few people have a context of the amazing films that occurred in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s after the first talkie with the jazz singer in 1927. Why is this all relevant? In some ways, philanthropy is driven by the information of today. And I would also feel very similarly, as I do about movies, that there's some amazing things that are happening in the world of fundraising that we should be paying attention to. The work that donor search is doing with Aristotle and predictive modeling likelihood, driving more of the conversation about who we reach out to is critically important. But some of the most important research, some of the most important lessons learned came from studies that happened a long time ago. And the further we get away from them, the more I am both mystified and stunned 
that most fundraisers haven't read them, don't understand them, and don't have any idea of the value that they bring potentially to their career and to matching what donors and philanthropists are trying to do with the nonprofits those fundraisers represent. I want to take from two today. And at the end, we'll talk about the tactical, about what you might be able to do. The first I would start with is a book by the uh, by the all-time great fundraisers, Gerald Panis, who passed away a few years ago, uh, called Mega Gifts. And I use it all the time in context with educating boards and CEOs and C-suites about what donors are trying to tell us. Uh, Gerald Panis did this study where he interviewed 50 men and women who were philanthropists, larger donors, not 50 bucks. These are mega, major gift or into principal gift levels. And then he interviewed over a thousand nonprofit leaders. And the questions were generically, for time's sake here, very similar in that, why is it that you choose to give? What engages you? What makes this worthwhile for the donor? And then the same question, why do donors engage and give to the nonprofit leaders? And what they found was, is that the answers weren't the same. Nonprofit leaders thought it was about things like belief in mission and community responsibility or pride, interest in a special project. Uh, possibly service on a board, uh, memorial opportunities. What they found, what he found was, is donors told him very simplistically that number one, they enjoy the opportunity to give. They give because they were asked and they believe that their gift can make a difference. They also have such belief in the direction of the organization. It meets with their individual sense of, of morals, values, and impact. Uh, there's fiscal stability. They want to know the organization is going to be there for a long time. That they have great respect for the institution and the institution or the organization is respected in the community. Uh, and they also have respect uh, for its volunteer leadership. The chasm between those two perspectives is really important because it's really, I think, centers us on the idea of two vastly different perspectives, donor-centered or organizational-centered. Nonprofit leaders, and this was done in 1987, but I don't think it's changed at all, would tell you that they know what they need and the community should give to that. I'm not indicating that an organization shouldn't know what it needs, but if you want someone to engage at a high level, you've got to go to them and be donor-centered. What is it they want to accomplish? And are there things you're doing that are priorities meeting with that level of expectation? In these podcasts, I've mentioned many times one of my favorite mantras in fundraising practice. Ask somebody for money, you'll get advice. Ask them for advice, you'll get money. I don't know where the original quote ever came from for that, but it's one I didn't make up. I heard someone else say long, long time ago, and it really stuck with me. And that's what Gerald Panis's book is really saying. It's really based on the idea that if we allow members of our community to learn more about who we are and we listen about what they're trying to accomplish, we can better understand how to move them into major gift and principal gift conversations if we can merge the two. 
but it doesn't start with just the organization. Mega gifts come because people are emotionally tied to what you're trying to accomplish, and you were able to build a relationship based on trust and listening and their interests and tie that all together in, in a wonderful package. Mega gifts by Gerald Panis. The other book from or study from uh, 1994, if I remember correctly, was a book by the uh, or the study done by Prince and File. This was more of an academic study. I I think it's probably the most important one in our industry, and I almost hear nobody talk about it. Really, what Prince and File did was is they took a look at thousands of donors and started a process of figuring out how they can categorize these donors into different segments. And then more importantly than that, what can you say to certain uh, these segments differently than another segment? So, and I'll talk about this here in a second. How do you communicate? What is it they want to hear? What activity would they be involved with? What is their psychological rationale for giving? It's a complete dossier on every donor in America. You have to figure out which one of these categories they fit into and then change your communication, your uh, particular conversations, what the impact will be, how you engage them based on these criteria. And it's psychological. And again, the seven faces of philanthropy by Prince and File, 1994. What are the seven? If you've worked with me, you've heard me talk about this. For those that haven't, you might write this down. Prince and File broke these out into seven particular segments. The first is the communitarian, someone who wants what's best for the community overall. The devout, the religious, that giving's a moral impetus inside of them. The investor, that it's good business. The socialite, that giving's fun and it's filled with relationships and activities. The altruist, they feel like they have a responsibility to make the world a better place. The repayer, they do their giving because they're saying thank you for something that's happened. The dynast, which is the family-held tradition that the, org- that the family or the family unit has been doing this for generations. And it's learned as a part of their upbringing and a part of their growth. Why is this important? Because what you learn is, is that when you're talking to someone like an investor, the idea of business plans is really important. But if you're talking to the devout, they don't care about business plans. This is about moral obligation. The difference between the repair, somebody who wants to say thank you for what's happened to them, and I think about education and healthcare being primary areas, grateful patients and, and alumnus being primary in this area, their engagement is based on how they can give back on what's happened to them and the reasons for their success in life or in healthcare for living versus a socialite who will only probably engage when there's an immense amount of social activity. Communitarian, devout, investor, socialite, altruist, repayer, dynast. I would recommend the seven faces of philanthropy for anyone who's in this profession. 
And I would recommend, and that was by uh, Prince and File, 1994. I would also recommend Gerald Panis's Mega Gifts from 1987. How are these connected to the movies that I started with? Because if you ask younger people today, they've never heard of them. They don't know their value. They don't take the wisdom that has come from these and utilize them for their own professional growth, but also the value and impact of their organization, the nonprofit they're representing. So what are the tactical pieces of all of this? The first thing is, I would argue that if you haven't read these two publications, these two studies, you need to do so. If you don't want to read the books, there are a whole bunch of places you can go online and find details about them. So you could read maybe the equivalent of a cliff note. I think there's more value in the totality of the research, but a little bit is better than none. So the first tactical thing is, is recognizing that the most valuable things that could be beneficial to you in your career may not have actually only happened in the last 10 or 15 years. There was time before that. The second thing is, I don't want, as we become more technologically savvy, is we become more driven towards metrics and results. Things that I believe in are good for our industry and for the nonprofits we represent. I don't want to forget that the baseline of what we do is based in the idea of relationships and getting someone to see our organization as a value add. And these are two books, two publications, two groups of outcomes or research points that can really help you do that, make you more effective. Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't, as a tactical suggestion, the ability for you to great, more greatly increase your ability, your understanding of relationship building overall, what we're aspiring to individually, organizationally? The third thing is I would not just take these and learn them. I then would then begin to apply them. If you are trying to figure out how to cultivate a particular donor, third tactical suggestion, try to put them in the shoes of Gerald Panis's construct of the mega gift, mega donor, figure out why they want to engage, and then even further break it down through the seven phases of philanthropy into what kind of donor they might be. And if you do your research, you'll figure out that certain types of communications, certain types of Activities are more beneficial for certain people's perspective. And put that into your cultivation plans. Put that into the value that you could deliver this person in terms of developing the relationship. I want our industry to always be, and the individuals therein, to always be lifelong learners. There's such value individually, personally, and professionally for someone who is continually trying to improve. And so the challenge, the tactical, is for you to do that. These are two 
amazing studies that many people have never taken the time to sit down and read, to understand. And you would find great value in being better at what you do if we just don't spend our learning on the last five years. But look at some of the great historical work that's been done that's tried and true and will continue to be into the future. Just a couple of reminders. Number one, I want to thank you for listening or watching. And I I hope that you'll subscribe, like, leave a comment, and share. If you find this helpful, share it with a few other people in our industry. I really try to keep these between 14 and 16, 17 minutes. Make them usable. Make them tactical. I hope you feel that it's worthwhile. If it is, share it with someone else. This is about me being able to share knowledge maybe that I've picked up along the way that might be helpful to you. Number two, there's blogs on the website, two or three a week, perspective on different aspects of our nonprofit world and kind of the world in general, professional life. I would recommend that. That's at howlitphilanthropy.com. And if you want to communicate with me directly and you have a comment about this podcast or any other, my homage to Clark Howard. Reeks, R-E-E-K-S, meaning you think what I said stinks. Reeks, R-E-E-K-S, at halletphilanthropy.com. Tell me what you think if I'm missing something. If you have a suggestion for a show, you can email me at podcast at halletphilanthropy.com. And if you're really interested, these podcasts are now on a YouTube channel that I was talked into by my team. I still question that as a good idea, but nevertheless, they're there. You can catch them on the website or on the YouTube channel, Hallett Philanthropy. As I do each time I do a podcast, I want to conclude this is an amazing opportunity for those of us and for all of us to want to make a difference in our community for what you believe in and what your organization believes in. You're important to the success of your community. You're important to the success of your organization. Your organization is critical to filling holes in the community for whatever it does as a nonprofit service to ensure your community is a better place. Thank you for what you do. It's important. And there may be the mundane and the trial and tribulation with everyday work, but I'm telling you in the, to- in the totality of what it is you're responsible for, it makes a difference. And I hope you feel that value. I hope you know how important it is. Remember my all-time favorite saying, some people make things happen, some people watch things happen, then there are those who wondered what happened. We are people. We are an, an industry of people, and you yourself, as being someone who makes things happen for people wondering what happened. And I don't know a better way to spend a professional life. I hope you feel the same. And I hope you'll join me again next time on Around with Randall. And don't forget, make it a great day.